If you have your Bibles, you're in Job chapter 33. We continue our uh, now streaming, Hearing the Voice of God sermon. And so some of you know uh, I was in the Air Force. That's where me and Toy met. When I was in the Air Force, I did intelligence. And so if you don't know what intelligence is, it's you're literally trying to intercept what the other armies or military is trying to say or do so you can use that information to your advantage. And so when I, when I got there, I really didn't know what it was. Uh, I thought I was doing some super technical, you know, enemy of the state stuff. And I started collecting Morse code. So literally, I would sit, at the, I didn't know how to type. You'd sit, you'd hear dot, dot, dit. And I could push the right key on the keyboard. And I did that. And you may not be uh, understanding of this, but I am one of the few people. None of y'all in this room are this high-level person. I am one of the few Samuel B. Morse Award winners in the United States military. What that means is I could copy 22 groups per minute of Morse code, and therefore I'm a trained monkey is basically what I'm saying. But there was other forms of intelligence. You had counterintelligence where we go to the other side. That CIA does a lot of counterintelligence. Human intelligence, which is espionage. You have image intelligence, which is maps and satellites and visual stuff. And you have more of the audio stuff, which is the signals. And so why do I say that? It's because there's so many different forms of communication. You have to have different ways to intercept that to have an advantage over the enemy. In the same way in teaching or media, there's many forms of, of communication. Just like in the church, we have letters that we can write. We have videos we could send, like in YouTube. We have social media. We have text messaging. We have first personal face-to-face meetings. And there's all these forms of communication that we can use to get our point across or to connect with someone else. Right? So just in a, in a, a point of view of you, if you're a business person or a mother or father and your kid lives across the country, you could decide you want to tell them how much they love you, you love them. You could write them a letter, go to the post office which will cost you 77 cents or something now. Send a letter to them, which will take about three to four weeks to get there. Or you could FaceTime them with a video and tell them to see the kids, the grandkids, and play with them. Or you could tag them in social media or Facebook or Instagram or post a picture. You could send them a text message. Or you could literally fly out there and meet with them face-to-face. And this is what I'm trying to communicate. That if the world has so many forms of communication in order to try to get their point across or try to connect, don't you think God who's trying to reach all his people has multiple forms of communication? Don't you think that God would have more than just one form of trying to communicate his love and communicate his purpose and communicate his will to his people? Yes, there's multiple ways that God speaks, and that's what we're going to talk about today. God speaks in many, many, many different ways. And in Job chapter 33, it says this. Behold, in this you are not right, for I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend against him, saying he will answer none of man's words? For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men, talking about the spiritual ears of men, and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. In his conversation, Job is having with his friend. They're, they're saying, well, why is Job praying? God's not going to answer like another guy wouldn't answer. And the guy says, whoa, God is not like a man. 
God is not like a man where he turns the cold shoulder and doesn't want to speak to you. God speaks in many ways, in one way and in two ways, though man doesn't perceive it. So what that tells me is God is trying to find a way to communicate. We are the problem. Our side of the equation is we don't perceive or listen to what God is trying to say. Then he even goes further and says, in a dream and in a vision, God is trying to speak to our, our closed spiritual ears. Sometimes at nighttime or in a vision, God can bypass our stubborn minds and ears to share what he wants to share with us. Because God so desperately wants to get his point across, he will do nothing, nothing to stop communicating with us. And, and the principle that is vitally important for the rest of this series is this. God speaks to us by his spirit, to our spirit. God speaks by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to our spirit. We know the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. He's not external like he was in the Old Testament. So in the New Testament, where does the Holy Spirit live? On the inside of us. We are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inside of us is speaking to the spirit man inside of us. So now when we hear God's voice, we're processing or filtering what he is saying through our mind, through our emotions, through our heart, through our personality, we're starting to hear the voice of God. And so as you understand that the voice is now internal, he's no longer an external voice. In the Old Testament, the voice of God was external. He spoke from the heavens. Now he speaks from the inside of us. And that's why many times Jesus would say, open your spiritual ears. Open ears. He who has ears, let him hear. He says in Matthew chapter 11, he who has ears... To hear, let him hear. In Revelation 2.29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He's not talking about you're a little deaf and you need hearing aids. He's not saying, hey, you, 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 you close your ears like a little kid. You don't want to hear him anymore. And you're just da, 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 da. He's not saying that. He's saying you have spiritual ears on the inside of you. And when Jesus would preach, he said, he who has ears, let him hear. He's saying, he who has opened up his spiritual ears to hear my voice, start listening and obeying my internal voice. Meaning if you're saved, you have spiritual ears inside of you to listen to what God has to say. And that's the gospel. The gospel is an inside-out message. The Old Testament, the law was an outside-in message. You do the things on the outside. If you clean up on the outside, then it may get to the inside. But in the gospel, it's he transforms us from the inside, and it should begin affecting things on the outside. In the same way, he made you holy enough by the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit can now live on the inside of you, so that what they sought for in the Old Testament, you now have living on the inside of you. And now that he lives on the inside of you, he can speak to you from inside of you. He will speak to guide you, to lead you, to teach you, to inform you, to encourage you, to build you up. But that voice is an internal voice because he lives on the inside of you. And so it's difficult to perceive. If it was an external voice, it'd be easy to discern because it's a booming voice from heaven. But since on the inside of us, sometimes we're confused as, was that God? Is that me? Or is that my own thoughts? And so it's confusing because you have to process that internal voice. And so today we're going to pack that the next few weeks. But today I want to give you nine biblical ways God speaks to us. Nine. So I know it's a lot. Looking at your clock. I'm going to rush through these. Nine Biblical ways that God speaks from his Holy Spirit to us. And I'm going to go from the most common to the most rare. So this is vitally important you get this. 
So these are going to be the nine ways. He speaks through creation. He speaks through the Bible. He speaks through a still, small voice. He speaks through impressions, checks, and promptings. He speaks through visions and dreams. He speaks through other people. He speaks through angels. He speaks through trances. And he also speaks audibly. Right? What's important is you have to realize it starts at the most common all the way to the most rare. If you write this down wrong and you think this is the most common and that's the most rare, you are going to be in cuckoo land very quickly. Right? So most common to most rare. What that means is all these are biblical ways God speaks, but as you progress down the list, it becomes the most rare way that he speaks. And so, yes, you need to know how God speaks, but I would get so familiar with the most common ways that the most rare ways would be a spiritual blessing, not a fear for you. So number one is this. God speaks through creation. He speaks through creation. When you go outside and look at the stars, you go to the beach, and you look at the ocean, you look at the waves crashing, God can speak through that. In Romans 1.19, it says, For it can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. In Psalm 19, 1 and 2, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day he pours out speech, and night to night he reveals knowledge. Meaning that creation is speaking, trying to get people's attention to see God. Now, if you come from a a, a liberal background or a Wiccan background, you will start to think that creation is the God. That's not what this is saying. Creation is not the pinnacle of supernatural spirituality. Creation is not the goal. Creation is not what we worship. Creation was given to man to domineer and have dominion in, and creation is supposed to point to God. God doesn't point to creation. Mother Earth is not a goddess. And so a lot of people in this day and age think, you know, if we can just take care of the environment and all be peaceful and plant enough wind turbines, enough solar panels, then we'll reach nirvana. No, then we just won't have electricity. Like you can twist this where you say, well, well, well creation speaks. Then you start thinking, well, Mother, Mother Earth is that creation. And you can twist it, but creation points to God. God never points back to creation. Number two, God speaks through the Bible. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's more than just a book. The Bible is the living and active word of God that can literally get to the heart or the intentions or the motivations of you and slice them and say, whoa, that's a bad intention. It speaks to the heart. It's not just speaking to the mind. It speaks to the heart. And so one of the primary ways God speaks is through the Bible. You say, what's the Bible? It's 39 books of the Old Testament, 27 of the New Testament equals 66 books that literally God spoke to people in the Old Testament or New Testament through his spirit, and they wrote down what God spoke to them. And over a matter of time, they compiled all these books together, put them in one bound book, and we called that the Bible, giving us a foundation of our faith or the, the pillars of our faith to make sure we all believe the same Thing. Make sure we all believe what is right, what is wrong, who God is, who God is not, what the gospel is, and what our mission and purpose is. And you say, well, yeah, you know, but the Bible is just a, it's just a bunch of made-up stuff by a bunch of power-hungry white men who want to control the world. 
whew, you really think a lot of power-hungry white men would give us the Bible to control the world. It's one of the most embarrassing books of all time if you're the writer of it. You write the fall and the stumbles and the sins and the shame of all the great leaders. If you think it was that type of book, then King David would have took out that couple of chapters where he slept with Bathsheba. Solomon would have taken out those chapters where he had all the concubines and, and fell of God's grace. We take out the sections where Peter denies Jesus or Judas betrays him and, and commits suicide. We take out the story of Samson, probably take out most of the story of Gideon. We take out all the story of Noah except for the very beginning. We take out most of the story of Abraham. We would take, if it was a power thing, we would take out the stories that don't promote power. So, well, you know, well, well God is just this narcissistic God trying to control. No, no, no. Well, the Bible's been translated so many times, and, and that's a Muslim debate against the word of God. Here's the history of the Bible. The Old Testament had been used and canonized for hundreds of years before Jesus came. They had their 39 books of the Old Testament. Then when Jesus came, and obviously there's a new revelation, Jesus is God, man, he starts preaching and teaching. Around 40 AD, so about five to ten years after Jesus is resurrected, they started thinking, hey, maybe he's not coming right back. They literally think he resurrected, he ascended, he's going to be back like any day. They started realizing he's not coming right back, so they started writing down what he taught them and what he showed them. And so for the next 30, 50 years of the church, those letters would be circulated amongst the current churches as the Bible, as the Gospels to be shared. So they would teach out of the book of Mark, Matthew, John, Luke. They would start teaching out of the epistles. And so around 100 A.D., there started becoming some heresies that entered the church that started talking, well, Jesus wasn't fully God and fully man. He was just a man. He was a good man. And so the church started realizing they needed some type of foundation to protect the church from all the nonsense of Gnosticism and Marsonianism and all these other heresies. And so they had their 27 books. For the most part, they started sending around. And then as Constantine came in power, they started looking for a way to, to formalize the Christian faith across all of Europe and Asia. And so at the Council of Carthage, they had those books together, and they decided this was the canon, this is the Bible we're going to use. And what they used to decide which books were right had to already be used, had to be a standard that was already being used in the church. So no new books be included. Had to have a divine authorship, means it had to come from an eyewitness of Jesus or an apostle. And three, it had to already be encouraging the right doctrine they were already teaching. And that was the filter for these 27 books. And people said, yeah, what about the lost books of the Bible? You know, what about the book of Enoch and this? I'm like, those the Catholic Church added later on to reaffirm the Catholic Church's craziness. These 27 books were used from the beginning of the church as the foundation. People say, yeah, Pastor, but there's so many translations. I, you know, use the ESV, and I, I saw their scriptures that, that, that it takes out. Do you know why I use the ESV? First, I used the New King James Version, and I had my Bible reading plan I read in 2 Kings, and my little demon-possessed kids tore out pages out of my Bible. So I felt like a hypocrite preaching from a Bible that's missing pages. And so I started looking at translations and realized the King James Version is one of the least accurate versions of the Bible. It was translated from manuscripts at around 700 to 800 AD. So I mean, they were written well after Jesus. The ESV and NASB were written from translations or manuscripts from the early 100s. 
So they're the more accurate. So I started using this translation because it was the most accurate translation. And we'll say, what about the missing verses? Well, the missing verses are because they were written from those, translated from those older manuscripts. There were people from the Catholic Church that tried to supplant information that validated them. And so the ESV will footnote that and say, these scriptures, these verses aren't found in the earliest manuscripts. What that means is the closer to the original voice of God, the more accurate. And so the voice of God speaks when me, when I'm reading, I may get what it's called a rhema word. When you're reading the Bible, that something just pops off the page into your spirit. It may be a verse you've read a thousand times and you're reading it and you're reading it and you're reading it. And as you read it, it just keeps on opening up and opening up. And, and you're like, man, I think that's for me. And what it is, is God's speaking to you through a rhema word. And a rhema word is a specific word or message that the Holy Spirit quickens in our hearts, our minds, and our spirits at a specific time for a specific purpose. For me, 1 Kings 19 is, is one of those. In 2015, I was in my daily Bible reading plan. I came across this scripture, and I was like, man, something's off with that scripture. Like, it's something, it, it stirs me. And it was just a normal scripture. The scripture basically, like, hey, the first year, don't sow and reap, just let the land lay, give it rest. The second year, you begin to sow and plant seeds, but don't, sow, don't begin to reap a harvest. In the third year, you can sow and reap a harvest, and I'll bring a remnant out of Jerusalem that I'll build my congregation with, basically. And for me, that was just this, this divine moment that God was saying, Bobby, don't try to do too much in 2015. Let the ground rest as a leader. The second year, start going into the community, into the west side, and start serving and providing outreach and love and, and begin sowing seeds. And the third year, you shall see a harvest. And I, I would begin to teach that to the, the elders and our staff, and, and we watched that come to pass over those three years. That third year was the year God started blessing our church with tremendous growth. And so maybe for you, there's been times that, that you're reading your word, and you're like, man, that just seems like, I know we read it to First Kings, but it sounds like it's for me. And I believe the more you're in God's word, the more you'll hear his voice. So the more I'm reading his word, the more his voice becomes familiar to me. Number three, God speaks through his still, small voice, his internal voice. First Kings 19, it says, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Now, this is interesting because if you have a Pentecostal or charismatic background, you think the Holy Spirit, the louder it is, the more he's moving. If there's people falling around, if there's people dancing, people shouting, people screaming, that's where the Holy Spirit is. That's what Elijah thought. Mount Carmel was this place of supernatural miracles. It's a place where he battled Jezebel. It's a place where they expected God to move, and he's expecting God in the big, loud moments. The earthquake, oh, that's got to be God. It's like God wasn't in the earthquake. Well, then the fire, oh, yeah, the fire, that's, that's where the Holy Spirit is. Oh, in the fire, and you the fire of God. And he was like, oh, he's not in the fire. Then the wind, the wind shakes and the rocks rattle. Oh, he's got to be in the wind. The Holy Spirit's wind, and he's not in the wind. And after the earthquake, after the fire, and after the wind, I don't know if Elijah's disappointed because he expected the voice of God to be in all three. It says, after that, there's a still, small voice. Or a gentle, low whisper. Many times we want God in the big, grandiose moments. But normally the Holy Spirit speaks in a still, small voice. This internal voice that, that's from the inside of you. That's sharing things about you or about God that you can't think of on your own. And, 
And for me, his still small voice is very conversational. His still small voice is very, it's a conversation we begin having. And I've shared this years, for years, but we were on staff at a church in Nashville, and our pastor had a moral failure, and there was a lot of controversy. And, and I was in worship service, in a season of prayer and fasting, and I was in worship service. Now, granted, they kind of blackballed this, this pastor. No one was talking to him. They were all frustrated and disappointed. And I'm in worship, and I hear God start saying, hey, you need to call so-and-so. I was like, oh, I don't know about that God. He says, no, you need to call so-and-so. And I started having this conversation with God, like arguing with God, like I'm going to win. And, and I, he said, you need to call him. And I said, okay, yeah, maybe I need to tell him, uh, ask him, or tell him I forgive him. And God immediately pointed in my heart and said, no, no, no. You don't need to tell him you forgive him. You need to ask him his forgiveness. And I was like, what? I knew that wasn't me. I was like, I ain't doing nothing wrong. And God's like, no, no, no. You set things behind closed doors that when I was trying to heal this man, you were trying to hurt this man. I was like, oh. you, know, you hate it when people are right. And you're like, oh, God. Like. So the next morning, I remember I had a hospital visit. I called him on the way. And you know, you kind of throw a fleece out. You're like, okay, I'll call him, but if he doesn't answer. So I called him. He didn't answer. I was like, wasn't God, praise God, it wasn't God's voice. And like immediately, he called back. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I hate when God is right. And we had this conversation where I think he was nervous that I called. But once I told him what God had told me, I said, listen, I need, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I said things about you in jest and joking around that, that if you would have heard, they would have hurt you. And I want to apologize and ask for your forgiveness. And most times I've heard the still, small voice of God. It is for God to purify me so he can use me. And it takes this repentant, humble heart to allow God to speak to your heart and point things out that need to be pointed out so he can begin to use you for what he needs to use you for. That's the still, small, internal voice of God. Number four, God speaks through impressions, checks, and promptings. Impressions, checks, and promptings. Acts 27, Paul is traveling. He says, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, sirs, I perceive. Everybody say perceive. I perceive this impression, this check in my spirit that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. That word perceived means to, the ability to see beneath the outward service or something is giving you a check in your spirit that, that I don't know what it is, but I just don't feel right about this. That, that's a check in your spirit. Or a prompting, well, I feel led or I feel drawn to, to do so. I feel drawn to to pay for this person's meal. I feel drawn to, to share the gospel with this person. I feel drawn or prompted to, to pray with this person. I have this impression on me that I just need to do something. Right? That, that's a, a, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You say, what is that? Checks, impressions, all they are is the Holy Spirit's influence on your five senses. We're beginning to influence your five senses to communicate something to you. I tell people who have the gift of intercession that many times they don't realize they have the gift of intercession until I explain it this way. Most people feel sympathy for somebody. So if you say, oh, man, you know, so-and-so, they have a surgery coming up. You know, it's a major surgery. Oh, man, I feel bad about that. I'll be praying for you. But if you tell somebody with the gift of intercession, hey, I have this surgery coming up. It's on my knee. Like my left knee is really bad. They will start to feel empathy in their knee. They'll feel pain in their knee for that person. Like, I don't have that. But the people that have intercession, they'll be like, ah. Oh. And what it is, it's God's influencing your five senses 
to give confirmation of that prayer that you're supposed to be praying for people. And for some people, you'll, you'll start to go somewhere and God will put a check in your spirit not to go there. Or sometimes they'll give a check in your spirit not to say that, and you don't say that. So the impressions are when the Holy Spirit influences your body or your five senses to communicate something with you. Acts 16, and when he went to the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. How did he not allow them? Jesus didn't just show up and stop them and say, you're not going. No, he put a check in their spirit. Listen, sometimes the word no is the greatest thing you can hear. You know how important it was? They were supposed to go preach the gospel in Asia. The gospel hadn't been to Asia. It's fertile ground. But the Holy Spirit put a check in their spirit not to advance the mission because there was something preventing the kingdom of heaven from moving forward in Asia. If they had went, they could have been slaughtered or it could have been a tremendous catastrophe. Listen, sometimes the Holy Spirit puts a check in your spirit to prevent you from walking through chaos. It was, oh, I want a word from God. I want a word from God. I want a word from God. Maybe the best word you can have is no. No will keep you out of more trouble than anything else. Number five, God speaks through visions and dreams. Numbers 12, 6 says, and he said, hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known to him in a vision, and I will speak with him in a dream. That's Old Testament. New Testament, Acts 2, 17 and 18, which is referring to Joel, chapter 2. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Why does he say young men see visions and old men see dreams? Because old men take so many naps, there's a greater opportunity. <laughs> I know, I'm there. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. It's like you cannot read the Bible and not see that God speaks through visions and dreams. Like the only, only way you can discount vision dreams is if you say, he doesn't do that anymore. But he did in the Old Testament, he does in the New Testament. It's actually one of the primary ways God speaks. It's not the most common or the most rare, but it is a, a pretty predominant way that God speaks. And I think it's increasing. If you watch any of the, the news out of the church in Iran, God is communicating through visions and dreams at a tremendous rate. And I think one of the reasons that there's going to be a, a growth in this area is this. Our hearts and our minds and our ears are so preoccupied with all of the social media and timelines and radios and TVs and streaming and all of the voices that sometimes God says, if I can't speak to him while he's awake, I'll just bypass that joker and get into his heart at night. What is a dream? It's God's influence on those mental images and those stories that happen while we're asleep. What is a vision? A vision is a dream you have while you're awake. And, and those, there's vision, we've all had dreams. And not every dream is a God dream, but God does speak in dreams. Right? So if you have certain dreams, I know you had a dream you're going to be an NFL football player. I promise you that's not God. Well, I had a dream. You know, you can very quickly tell if it's a God dream or not. One, does it leave you with peace? Two, does it confirm something in your spirit? Three, does it reveal something from the word of God? Right, if it's not those things, if it's sinful, if it's anything like that, then it's of the enemy. The enemy can bypass and show up in a dream as well. Right? So not every dream is a God dream, but God does speak through dreams. A vision is while you're awake, 
you see the vision, you see mental images. It's something, there's two types of vision. There's open vision. An open vision is basically you're wide awake, but you're having this vision like it's happening. Like it feels real to you, like a dream. This feels like I'm there. It feels like I'm at this place. It feels like I'm in this story. It feels like I'm in this conversation. A closed vision is basically a mental picture you receive while you're awake. And you see through these throughout Scripture. You see in Acts chapter 16, verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Literally, do you realize that we are all here as Gentiles because God gave a vision and a dream to Peter? Like, that's why, why we're here. A vision opened up the gospel to the Gentiles. And so, like, for me, I got saved through a vision. I had a vision of me preaching while I was awake. It was like I was there. I just saw me preaching in the only church I'd ever been in. I didn't believe in God. I was like, this is absolutely stupid. But I couldn't get the mental. It was like I was just raptured in this picture. And it's all I saw, all I saw, all I saw, all I saw, which opened me up to the word of God, which then brought me into salvation, which then brought us from Ohio to Nashville to Nashville. So we had to get a passport to come to Florence, Alabama. And now we're here. Right? That's because of vision. And so some of you, you've had visions. And I'm not talking about vision of like an organism. I'm talking about God speaks to you through a mental image, whether you're asleep or whether you're awake. But number six is God speaks through other people, through the teaching of his word, maybe through a conversation or through the gift of prophecy, which we're going to unpack in July. But New Testament prophecy, just to help you, is the sharing of God's thoughts through human words. Like God will give somebody a thought and they'll share that thought through their words. That's, that's the gift of prophecy working. And it works because the same spirit that's in you is in me. And if the same Holy Spirit that's in me is in you, he knows what you need. He actually knows what you're praying for. And so he may share some information with me so I can encourage you in that particular area. He knows what you may be struggling with, doubt with, so he may speak to me, to encourage the spirit in you. And so when the gift of spirit, the gift of prophecy is functioning correctly, it's this, it raises the water levels of encouragement and strength in the church. When operating incorrectly, it brings discouragement and frustration and disorder into the church. 1 Corinthians 14.3, on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation, which means God uses prophecy to build up, to encourage, and to comfort his people. How can anyone say, I don't really want that gift. What? You don't want to see people built up? You don't want to see them encouraged? You don't want to see them comforted? Like in this day and age, we all need that. In a day and age where every single thing you see is negative, it feels good to be built up with words. It feels good to be encouraged by words. It feels good to be comforted by words, especially if those words are coming through a spiritual lens to strengthen my spiritual inner man. So the gift of prophecy, we'll get into in July, but... As we go into prophetic presbytery at the end of July, one of the most beautiful things is to see people we love and we care about in our church built back up through prophecy, encouraged through prophecy, comforted through policy, through prophecy, and seeing just that spiritual lens of just peace flood their life through this gift. And last time, one of the ones I was telling somebody is actually a Church of Christ pastor. I was having coffee with, so I was sharing, he's like, he actually asked me, we're talking about our differences. He said, like, if I was a church of Christ guy and I came to your church, what would be different? I said, everything. <laughs> I said, we do the Apostles' Creed, we preach the word, but worship starts, you're going to be like, okay. We do the gifts of the Spirit. And I, I talk about presbytery. 
So there's a lady at church, Rose Michaels, who's one of the most joy-filled women you'll ever meet. Her husband was an incredible man, died of, of uh, stomach cancer, I believe, right in the middle of COVID. I watched her preach her husband's own funeral. We had presbytery coming up. She was a candidate. And we watched. She was sitting right up here. And Toy could tell you if you were here. She was sitting right here. So right in, the, in presbytery, the presbyters don't know the people they've been praying for and the word they have for people. All they have is, is anonymous candidate one or candidate two. That's all they have. And I watched Bethany Palmer, this female presbyter, walk over to her and kneel down, which was different. Usually they stand up and share the word. Kneels down and she says, Rosie. God just wants you to know you're beautiful. Right? So to most of us, that didn't make sense. But and Toy can tell you, we sat there, and Toy leans over and she says, every day when Jeff woke up, he would tell her, Rosie, you're beautiful. And he was the only one that called her Rosie. And so when Bethany shares this from God's perspective, says, Rosie, not Rose, Rosie, God just wants to know you're beautiful. That's the first time she'd heard those words since her husband passed away. And it strengthened her because what it tells her is that God knows. God's paying attention. God's trying to encourage me and strengthen me and build me back up. That's what prophecy does. It builds people back up who life has tried to tear down. Number seven, God speaks through angels. Hebrews 1.14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who inherit salvation? Like if you read the Bible, if you just read it plainly, you read the Bible from beginning to end, angels speak. They show up in the Old Testament. They show up in the New Testament. The birth of Jesus is pronounced through angels, through the revelation. It's angels that bring the message to the church. It's angels, 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 angels. You say, what are angels? Well, this scripture here says they're ministering spirits sent to serve you and I who are the people of God. So angels, my definition, angels are spiritual beings that assist God in fulfilling his own will on earth by communicating his purposes and attending to the needs of God's people. So they're servants that assist God in his purposes. They're messengers who communicate God's purposes. And they're guardians to protect God's people and God's purposes. And so angels are actually real. Touch your neighbor and say they're real. It's in a Christmas sermon. So it's not coming. This is real life. There are angels that you see in Jacob's ladder. It's angels ascending and descending. In the book of Daniel, Daniel had been praying and fasting for 21 days. The angel says, we tried to get here 21 days ago, but there's this warfare going on in the heavens. We're trying to get, angels are real. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 13, it says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. You may be walking in blessing because you were kind to a stranger. It was actually a messenger from God to test you. You may be walking through hell because God sent a stranger and you treated them like junk that was there to test you. Now, angels are not godly. They're not God. They don't bring salvation. They, don't, they, they bring help to God's people. And so for you, you have to realize that sometimes, I, I tell our staff this every year, every other year, that every single person that comes to our church, whether it's a visitor, whether it's the sales guy, whether it's the pest control guy, whoever it is, you never, that may be an angel God sent to test to see if we're the same people throughout the week as we are on Sunday mornings. The people you have an encounter with at work, the stranger on the street, the homeless person you run into downtown, you never know if they're a messenger from God to you or not. You know what that means? You have to have integrity and treat everybody the same way at all times. Number eight, God speaks through trances. 
In Acts chapter 10, verse 9, the next day as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. Somebody say trance. That Greek word is ecstasy, which just means an altered state of consciousness. And saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. You don't have to tell me twice. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, saying, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Like, it's a rare form. But there are people that God will bring into a trance in prayer. They go into a trance with an altered state. I don't, I don't know what, I've never been in a trance. I don't know what it's like. But God will use that as an opportunity to speak this. Now, this is extremely rare because this is how God initiated the church and the gospel to the Gentiles. And so I think God really wanted to get his point across. And so it was a trance. But the last one, number nine, God speaks audibly. God speaks audibly. I, I've never heard God speak audibly. I've heard him speak internally very loudly. I've never heard him speak audibly. But just because something is rare does not mean it doesn't exist. I do know people that have heard God speak audibly. My pastor, Maury Davis, he'd heard God speak audibly one time. And he was in prison for a murder when he was 19 years old. And God told him how long he was going to get and when he would get out of prison. When he told his attorney, he literally said, you're crazy, you're going to get life, if not the electric chair. And no lie, at the eight-year mark, there was an overcrowding situation in Texas state penitentiaries. And they did a lottery, and Pastor Maury Davis got out in eight years, which is exactly what he said. God told him audibly when he was 19 years old. And so I will say this. I, I don't know how God speaks. I don't know what his voice sounds like. I would think it's kind of like Morgan Freeman, if I had to guess. Or Alex Rao, or Johnny Flurry. But in Acts chapter 9, it says, Now he went on his way. He's talking about Paul. He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice. He didn't see a vision. It wasn't an internal voice. He literally heard with his ears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They heard the voice as well, but seeing no one. Here's what I tell you. I've never heard God speak. I don't discount it for somebody else. I would test it. But here's what I know. The more clear the revelation, the more difficult the task. So throughout Scripture, if God comes to you in a burning bush, you better believe it's about to be on because you're going to have a task like no other. Paul gets kicked off his horse. He hears God's voice. His task, his assignment is difficult. The more clear the revelation, the more difficult the assignment. And so when you say, well, God, I just want to hear your voice, you may not want to ask that. You may say, God, just open up your word to me. Let me read. Just speak to me through your Bible. I don't want any other stuff. But I will tell you, all this tells me, if there's these nine biblical ways God speaks, tells me God so desperately wants to speak. He has so many different channels to communicate. I believe he primarily speaks to the channel of your personality that you connect with the most. But I do believe this, that if God is trying to communicate this much to us, we should be 
have at least that much desire to hear his voice. We should be that much more hungry to be in prayer and hear what he has to say. We should be people that are desperate to hear what he's trying to say. I don't want his words to fall on hollow ground. I want to hear what he's trying to say. And as you, as a husband, as a mother, as a father, as a wife, as kids, as college kids trying to figure out what's next, he has what you need. He wants to share with you what heaven's agenda is. And so as you move closer to him, like we talk about, move closer to him, humble yourself and give him permission, he will speak to you. I remember as I closed, I, just, I was in Israel, Brian Holden and uh, Will Ford, who spoke here a couple years ago for Diversity Sunday, was my roommate in the first night. So Will is like super prophetic, dreams, visions, all that stuff, which sometimes I'm just like, man, just, just, just shut up. That's a bunch of junk. Will, no lie. He's like, hey, let's pray before we go to sleep. I said, okay. I'm used to praying before I go to sleep. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for all this stuff. Will prays like this, God, hey, it's been a long day. And like, uh, if you want to speak to us tonight in like a vision or a dream or a visitation, I was like, whoa, visitation. Let's make sure we're talking to the right person before we ask for a visit to give him permission to come in our room. And he's like, vision or dream, we're open, open up our spiritual ears, all this weird stuff. And I was like, went to sleep scared to death. I never dream. I have a dream that night. And in the dream, I can't remember all the details, but in this dream, there was like a, a house and money exchanging hands and, and something that hadn't been working was now working. And I wake up and I was like, Will, bro, I had this dream. Hopefully no visitations, but I had this dream. I said, here was a dream. He said, man, we've been trying to close in this house, but everything keeps going wrong, da, da, da. And literally in Israel, a couple hours later, de Havilland calls him and says, hey, this happened. They brought the check that was missing, and now we're closing on the house on this day. And I was like, we'll do it again. Pray it again, pray it again, pray it again. <laughs> right? so I don't know how God wants to speak to you, but he wants to speak. And I, I encourage you. That if you're timid or you have questions about how God speaks, study these nine. You will see that God has spoken in all these nine in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And I believe he still speaks in these ways today because God does not change from yesterday to today. He's the same forever. So, Father, we thank you so much that you are personal, God. That you love us. You desire to be with us. You desire to communicate with us. And you stop at nothing to share your heart, your mind, and your will and your agenda with us. So, Father, I just pray for an increased volume of your voice. I just pray that you begin speaking to all the people in this room and online through your still, small voice, through your written word and rhema words. Father, through angels and visitations, through visions and through dreams, even your audible voice, Father, I just pray that your voice becomes the loudest voice in our lives, that we're not led and guided by the voices of culture, we're not led and guided by the voices of our past. We're led and guided by your voice. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're in this room this morning, you said maybe you don't know God. You haven't been following him, and you want today to be a fresh start or a new beginning. You turn from your old ways, and you turn towards a new path. We call that repentance. You turn towards the ways of God. So this is me, Pastor. I, I, I want to make that step today. I'm not going to have you stand up or come forward, but I am going to ask you to simply raise your hand for me so I can see you and pray. So that's me, Pastor. I, I want to take that step today. I want that fresh start, that new beginning. If that's you, just slip and raise your hand up. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for the blood of Jesus. For the gospel, which is the good news, that you are not angry with us.
You want to rescue us and save us. So those that raise their hands, Father, I pray as they confess with their mouth and repent of their heart, they turn toward you, that you wash them and cleanse them of all unrighteousness. You make them new creations in Christ. You set their feet on the solid rock of Jesus, and you grant them a purpose and a destiny in you. In the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. If you would stand to your feet as we dismiss, if you're a guest or you raise your hand, make sure you swing by Connection Point. Uh, you heard Madeline, who Madeline did just an incredible job, by the way. So if you see Madeline, tell her she did great. She does an incredible job in Chapel Kids, leading those teams, sharing the gospel, praying for our kids, pastoring families. She does an incredible job. Make sure you tell her thank you. And if you want to volunteer for VBS, make sure you do that. But we love you. Hope you have a great rest of the Sunday. Be blessed.